This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On this episode, I welcome my guest, Deirdre Azapardi. Deirdre is an occupational therapist, and during our conversation, we discuss how mindfulness and social emotional learning can break down the barriers to create a more inclusive environment for all students. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and I am happy to welcome my guest today, Deirdre, as a party to the podcast. Thank you uh, for joining me today. I am happy to uh, have you on as a guest. Awesome. I'm very happy to be a guest. Yes. So uh, to start our conversation, can you share a little bit about yourself uh, with us and tell us who is Deirdre and how did you become interested in the world of inclusive education? So I am an occupational therapist now for 30 years um, and uh, also have uh, a son who received uh, special services from 18 months to 18 years old. So have been on both sides of the IEP table. Uh, and uh, through that time, uh, I, I came to um, inclusion because I started to notice that my own ideas of that somebody needed to be sort of ready before they got into a, a classroom that I needed to like help them to catch up, whatever that meant. Um, when somebody kind of squeaked by and was in the classroom already, like I had to kind of open my eyes and, you know, started to notice like kids did a whole lot better than I expected. And that perhaps, you know, um, I didn't know everything. Uh, and so as of my own journey through uh, like a spiritual journey, a yoga, I, you know, I became a yoga teacher uh, through a lot of my own practices. Um, I realized that I, I know less than I thought and that I'm more comfortable knowing less, which is good, uh, you know, uh, and that, um, you know, perhaps I was being a gatekeeper myself. Uh, and uh, when I started to really see inclusion as um, really a right, a civil right, um, it was kind of hard to turn back from it. So, you know, I have a lot of heated discussions about it, but I believe, uh, I believe inclusion is a civil right. Well, what, so one of the OT, um, one of the definitions of OT that I've always um, loved and part of like the yogic journey, the, the yoga journey is supposed to, is about like removing all of the layers that we have uh, accumulated over our life, the not enoughness, the um, societal messages, all of the stuff that we accumulate, the traumas, the, you know, the traumas from our ancestors um, is to kind of find the essential you underneath all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that. And I feel that. Um, and one of the definitions of OT that I resonate with is that we're supposed to be barrier removers. We're supposed mm -hmm. to look at the environment and say, how can we help this individual become the person that they want to be, the best version of themselves um, by helping to remove barriers? And um, I think that that's 
amazing, except that sometimes we become the people that decide who that person, the best version of that person is without the person's, <laughs> you know, without their own voice. We mm -hmm. decide who we think they should be, especially young children. And then sometimes we're the barrier. Like, you know, when we look at the environment as, you know, the environment that we're supposed to help to make environments better for kids, sometimes we are the actual gatekeeper and the people that are the barrier, you know, by our own thoughts and about a child, about their belonging or about their, you know, about where they are. Um, so, yeah, so it's just, it's really, it's, it's really a, a lot of this work is really about a deep dive into yourself and your own um, ideas. Yes. And you've already started talking about this uh, a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that you're an occupational therapist who focuses and you focus on mindfulness and social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about what mindfulness and social emotional learning are and how they can add a benefit to an inclusive education setting? Sure. Um... So social emotional learning is kind of all the rage, right? We, we, we look at um, school systems, we look at, and especially I think in uh, disability spaces, right? Uh, how someone uh, manages their emotions, how they feel about themselves, you know, how they relate to others and how all of that plays out in society is like, you know, beyond important because without sort of that basis of mental health, you know, uh, someone can't learn, right? Mm -hmm. Can't learn unless, you know, we have that basis of mental health. And, and there's such a crisis in our country, across the world, really, of um, children who are, are not feeling so good about themselves. Or um, and, and so I think really all hands on deck. A lot of OTs have been known to just be like these people who help with things like handwriting, which I personally don't care about very much. It's very hard for me to care about. I have to like really, <laughs> I really have to like, you know, get excited about it because I don't think that that's the barrier normally for kids not being able to access education. There's so many more layers to that. Uh, so in OT school, we actually learn a lot about mental health as well as physical health, but we've kept them very separate. But, you know, uh, the actual connection between the mind and the body and the spirit is really what, you know, since we did both, which very few professions do both in school, you know, we could be the experts on that. So that's what I think um, we could bring to the school system. But I think we all get stuck in our own little silos. Um, uh, you know, you, you, uh, Arthur, you have a disability, a physical disability. There's no way that physical disability hasn't impacted how you felt about yourself on an emotional level. It, it, there, there, it, there is no way, right? It's your right. body and your body is a reflection of you. And so you've, I'm sure, had to work through a lot of feelings about that. I, I'm mm -hmm. not putting you on the spot, but I'm just using you as an example. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, all of us, uh, are impacted by, uh, you know, the entirety of ourselves. Um, so mindfulness is really about taking uh, time to really look into your heart, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just moving from one thing to the next thing and the next thing, and especially in schools, you know, people are moving at the speed of light and not taking time to realize, <clears throat> you know, I'm saying that we're all on this hamster wheel. Right. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's teachers who have five minute schedules. I am not joking. Five minute schedules. Um, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're absolutely right with having my physical disability and I've had it all my life. Um, you know, there have been, uh, times where it, it, you know, definitely did affect my, you know, my mental health and, uh, whether it was, you know, being left out of things that, that the other, uh, you know, my friends could do. And, uh, I always, I always tell people like, it, it wasn't the, um, you know, being left out of like sports or football or, or things like that, that didn't bother me because that never looked fun to me, like getting, <laughs> getting hit <laughs> like that, that never looked like fun to me, but just, um, you know, just doing things like on the playground and not being able to climb up to, you know, or use the, uh, you know, the, the monkey bars as they called them and, and, you know, not being able to do those kinds of things, the, uh, the daredevil types of things <laughs> that my friends would do, uh, you know, just little things like that, or, or just more important or, or bigger things where, you know, my body just hurts sometimes so bad where I just really want to stay in bed all day. Like that can be very draining on the physical and the mental health uh, for me. So I, I definitely agree with you uh, in that, you know, we, we are like our, our total, you know, the total parts of, of everything uh, of our life. That's uh, so true. And, and, uh, I, I majored in psychology, so I really, uh, you know, am connected with the the mind and the body parts of, uh, you know, being connected and how how they all work together. Uh, with so I did that too. So I um I got my so my undergraduate was in um, OT. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, you could do that. Um, and then my master's was in psychology. So I think oh, wow. for sure my master's informed a lot of my work. And then I went back and I got my doctorate. Um, and my doctorate was on using exercise as a tool for um, autistic kids and, uh, and cognitive behavioral um, techniques. So really like how we spoke to ourselves. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do that is because I always related myself to my work. I, not always, but over time, I realized how, I, my, how much I impact, you know, what I'm doing. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was through my own uh, exercise journey, because what happened was I realized the only reason I exercised was to feel good. I never could do it just because like the world told me I should, because I should be skinnier and all that other stuff, that I never could sustain it for that reason. It was only when movement made me feel good wow. that I was able to sustain it. And I was like, you know what, if that makes me feel good, I bet it could help some of my students who are feeling super anxious. You know, a lot of kids, a lot of kids with uh, disabilities um, also struggle so greatly from anxiety. So mm -hmm. I was using, I want, I was like, I want to help bridge that gap where a kid could start to understand like what movements make me feel good. So it isn't only about exercise as a should, because mm. the should part, um, I think is one of the reasons that like 50% of people don't exercise is because society has made it a should. Uh, so just like one of my biggest goals is to help people to find something in their body that feels really good you know, mm. the, so they, so they look forward to it. It makes them feel good. Um, because that body awareness that that impacts, you know, anxiety levels and health mm -hmm. and all of this other things. So, um, so that's really became sort of an obsession for me. Like, how can I help this kid to feel good in their bodies? Um, you know, through whatever means. 
That's um, I I I, I don't know what it was about what you just said about the should part. That was I was like, wow. <laughs> you well, know, I think that there's been sense. plenty of studies on that. That mm -hmm. when we make things a should, um, there's a part of us that says, you know, screw yeah. you. I don't want to do it. You just mm -hmm. made it a should. I don't want to do it. You know, there's that part of us that does that, and it's all unconscious. Mm -hmm. you know, in our minds, like think about foods, like we all know we should be eating broccoli and not Doritos. <laughs> right. Right. There's like, there's no misunderstanding of that. Right. But we don't really do things based on, you know, uh, this, you know, this super conscious thing, like we should do the things that are right for us. We tend to do things that make us feel good. And mm -hmm. Doritos feel really good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> The marketers have figured out a way to make Doritos feel better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, so true. Uh, yeah. It's a, a natural, like you said, it's an unconscious, like a, a, a rebellion kind of thing. Like, okay, I, sh I, sh I should do it. Okay. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, I love, um, I love sharing yoga with kids and mm -hmm. mindfulness because the truth is, because of the way the culture is right now, because of, you know, um, video games and all, you know, they've, everyone has figured out to how to make kids feel like, you know, get really addicted to like these dopamine hits from video games mm -hmm. and, um, you know, uh, poor food choices and all this other stuff, right? It's like very easy to get kids addicted to this stuff. So I think excitement has become like just being like hyper stimulated and excited mm -hmm. has become, you know, confabulated with, you know, feeling good. So like that high level, but the truth is you, if you see a kid like drop some of that and just really relax, you can see in their body, they feel really good about that too. That does feel mm. really good. And so um, if you can get kids young enough to sort of, and not every kid. And so when I teach it, I, uh, I, I just talk about how I feel in my own body. Like I constantly let people know about it mm -hmm. so that they can come up with their own conclusions. I don't say to kids, you should feel whatever way, you, you know, your feelings are your own feelings but you will see kids kind of like drop the mask, you know, drop the armor. Mm. Um, and it's really exciting to see. Yes. And that um, I, I, I'm loving this conversation because you're leading all into our next questions. How exciting. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> um, so I, I, in, in preparing for all of my uh, conversations for the podcast, I tried to find other uh, conversations that the guests have had on other podcasts or, you know, articles they may have written or, or participated in. Um, so I, I heard you speak about uh, stop and notice. Mm. And um, I would like for you to share what that is about and uh, how that can be in, in, uh, important in the uh, classroom setting. Uh, so when I, when I, I, so I lead a lot of professional development and uh, one of the things I kind of give out to everybody is uh, a stop sign and, you know, using stop, it's it called an acronym. I forget when you use each letter. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not coming to me. Anyway, so um, S is for stop, just literally stop, you know, pause. You know, we don't take many pauses in life. Uh, you know, take a pause. T is for take a breath. 
you know, when we take a breath, a conscious breath, we kind of clear space a little bit to actually notice. So O is observe, like observe how you're feeling um, because so many kids don't know how they feel. Uh, so many adults don't know how they feel, you know, right. and then, and then P is to proceed with kindness. So like always choose the kind uh, choice. Uh, and a lot of it's a kind choice for ourselves, you know, a kind thought for ourselves, not just kindness towards others. And, um, you know, it's just a nice one because you can see it out in the world, stop signs. You can just put it up on your wall to notice when your nervous system is kind of off kilter. Because sometimes, you know, we can get really locked into our own stuff. Um, and when we, and when we do this, and when we do this consciously, and when we do it out loud, I think we do it out loud with kids. What I do a lot with kids um, is, especially because I work with really, I work with preschoolers. And I just feel mm -hmm. like, like these messages, this is like, in preschool, I think people don't understand enough about early childhood education, that the voices that these kids hear are the internalized voices they will hear for the rest of their lives. Hmm. So I'm always like, it's in real time. It's us. We're, we're the voice <laughs> right now. Um, so if, you know, if I'm having a really rough day, right. And I come into a space and I'm like discombobulated and I'm pissed off about something and what, whatever, and say, I'm about to teach a yoga class and the whole class breathes together. And like, I have this moment of clarity, like, oh, and my whole nervous system reacts to that. Um, I say it out loud. Miss, I, the kids call me Mrs. A. Mrs. A came, I was a disaster. I, you know, was, I was late and my dog threw up and, you know, all these things happened. And I just wanted to get through this class. But when everybody stopped and took this breath together, like you helped me so much. I feel so much better. Thanks. Thanks so much. You know, because I think that kids don't have um, enough messages that it's okay to stop and notice how they feel. Mm -hmm. Most of the messages of society is if you're crying, just get over it. Let's move on. Um, a lot of messages are like, we're going to tell you how to feel. Uh, you know, kids' emotions are inconvenient. Oh, wow right? Mm -hmm. They are. And that, and we have to be honest about that. So the, a lot of these like self-regulation tools, I kind of laugh about because we, we put these things up on walls, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to pick on the zones, but the zones is one of them. Like there's the green and the red and whatever. And like, what zone are you in? How do you change it? All these things, all these steps. And I'm like, well, how many adults are doing that? How many adults are doing that? Like how many adults when they're really annoyed are stopping like, oh, I'm really annoyed. I, I really shouldn't act like this or like I've just hurt someone else's feelings. Maybe I should stop, take a breath. Like they're not going through all of those steps, but we expect very small kids to do it. So unless we're one, sometimes when we're not in that heightened state, when we're like in a more middle ground, at least where we can access those parts of our brain that are higher our higher self, we should talk about it in front of kids. So kids are like, oh, that's the steps in real mm -hmm. time. I'm doing it. I'm doing those steps. And I've done it 10 times wrong. And I'm letting you know how I did it incorrectly. And that's okay too. That's just called being human. But 
expecting kids to do it is like what like small children need us to do it they need us to be you know to be able to regulate with them they need us to you know to be able to access those parts of our brain but that's a lot of practice that's a lot of practice on an adults adults have to practice it Mm -hmm. and as you said you know the the voices that they will hear for the rest of you know the rest of their lives is is when they are that young and to have a, a physical example of you doing that you know the stop example it's like okay it makes it okay because it's like oh if my teacher did it then you know exactly. it makes it okay yeah it's not a big deal and and exactly and when yeah. you teach when, when i can get a teacher to sort of in, and i say get like as if i'm like making them but if some if a teacher really sort of buys in um, I've had students like do these really awesome things. Like students tell their, like little four-year-olds tell their parents, like, you look really stressed, mom. Why don't you take a breath? You might feel better. Hmm. Like drop the mic. That's right. all I need. <laughs> My life's work complete. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, they- and all of this relates to the inclusion. You know why? Uh-huh. Because so many, so many um, kids are not included because of behavioral challenges. Hmm. That's, that is one of the big walls, you know, when a kid has a behavioral challenge, uh, emotional challenges, like, you know, everyone feels very, very much that like they don't belong. Uh, that's, you know, one that is easy for people to sort of feel like, you know, well, they, they definitely don't belong, you know, so all of us, need to help kids to be able to regulate their emotions so that they don't become the other. And, and, and kids get scared of kids who can't regulate their emotions. That becomes frightening to them. Yeah. They might be able to accept an Arthur in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. They might, might be able to accept yeah. that. But it's very hard for them to accept the kid that's hitting the teacher. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is that. That's a very good point. It's a very good point. Wow. So I have one uh, one more question uh, for you uh, before we wrap up uh, this discussion today, and um, that is, uh, can you tell us about the New Jersey Inclusive Education Technical Assistance Project? Um, and the grant that your district uh, received and and what you're doing uh, in your district to, uh, you know, make some change. So uh, we have been involved with it. Uh, It's really, so there was a smaller grant last year, which was the um, related service grant. So since I'm part of related service, it was about um, moving from pulling kids into our little, you know, therapy rooms and uh, performing magic. Uh, now we're pushing much more into the classroom, which I had been doing for quite a while. But uh, I think the, the, you know, the professional development kind of helped us to all figure out better ways to make it work in terms of scheduling. So a lot of this is about logistics. Logistics is a big issue in inclusion. It's just about like, who, what, where, how do we use the resources we have? What other mm-hmm. resources do we need? So a lot of that is, you know, some of the um, barriers to inclusion. Definitely been doing much more um, groups 
Uh, and I think that therapists, you know, doing more groups, it helps tremendously with inclusion. And I think even therapists doing whole class groups helps with inclusion because it's like, you know, taking some stuff off the teacher. I think teachers are just inundated and stressed. And so even mm -hmm. if they would like to include a student, sometimes I feel like they don't even know where to start and they don't feel supported. And it's just so anxiety provoking, you know, everyone doing the same thing makes life a lot easier. Hmm. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk about compliance-based, you know, kind of uh, against compliance-based things like, you know, that we shouldn't be doing things that are leading just towards kids being compliant, except when you teach a class. And I think that's why therapists and, you know, administrators, like one of my biggest things that I would love in the world is if all administrators had to do one day of uh, one day a month of um, uh, subbing. One oh. day a month of subbing, because it's very easy to tell people how to do inclusion or it's very easy to tell people how to take data and all this other stuff. But it's another thing to actually teach a class where somebody's not being compliant and you're trying to teach the class. So I think when therapists or anybody kind of gets out of their own little place and actually tries to do it, you start to really see the pro see the difficulty and then come from a much better place of learning how to come up with the solutions to those problems. You know what I mean? Because, you know, you're kind of walking the walk instead of just, you know, talking the talk. Um, so that's sort of what we started doing last year. And now we're doing um, even more. We have like a, uh, I'm on the leadership group. Um, so there's a bunch of us like who get together once a month now. It's mostly professional development at this point um, about how we can increase our numbers, um, you know, our own blind spots. We're kind of self-evaluating. Um, so that's where we're at right now. Wow. This is, uh, it's really great with, you know, the, the grants that uh, the different districts get and the work that they can do to, uh, you know, to start again, to continue the change, I should say, um, you know, making schools more inclusive um, because it really does benefit everybody, uh, you know, in the classroom and in the district, it really helps. Uh, well, it's it really the only way to uh, an equitable world is right. we get to know each other. Like mm -hmm. we have to get to know each other. So I think, uh, if if kids in uh, in a gen ed classroom just literally don't know, you know, say kids in other classrooms, they they can only be scared, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, all isms is related on is 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 related to people not knowing each other. Mm. When people get to know each other, it's a whole different world. It's like I don't have to be afraid of someone if I get to know them. You know, then I start to realize all the places that we're the same and we're not the same. We all have differences and differences should be celebrated and, you know, understood and accommodated mm -hmm. for. But there's also so much, you know, we all have the same needs. You know, we right. all want to connect. We all want, you know, we all want to be appreciated. We all want to feel autonomous. We all want to feel like we matter. Um, and, I, you know, there's no kid that doesn't want that. Uh, so. We have to figure out ways to to make sure that everybody does matter. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, the uh, Deirdre, thank you so much for this conversation. And um, you know, it's it's your day off today, so <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, join me 
uh, for this conversation. And, um, you know, I really appreciate it uh, talking with you and um, just getting to know of uh, the work that you're doing and uh, the change that you are helping to create in the, uh, you know, in the students you are, uh, you know, have the privilege of working with and, and just, uh, you know, so thank you again uh, for your time and, and I appreciate uh, this conversation. Uh, Arthur, I appreciate you. And I love that you said the privilege of working with, because believe me, it is a privilege to be in the lives of kids who, you know, the, the, the path is harder for. So definitely a privilege mm -hmm. to be part of that. Yes. So I will um, be in touch with you soon. You gave me uh, a good book recommendation. So I definitely will be following up with you about that. <laughs> awesome. And yes. So, uh, but you take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Thanks, Arthur. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This podcast is brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.